Hello, my name is Father Jeremiah, and I belong to the community of the Franciscan Friars of the Renewal. And this is the first talk in a series of talks on prayer. And this talk is entitled, Prayer as Relationship. We'll begin with a reading from the Gospel according to Matthew. Jesus said, When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. And in praying, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Before I was a Franciscan, I was discerning with the Trappist monks, also known as the Cistercians of the Strict Observance. And one weekend I was at the Trappist Monastery in Spencer, Massachusetts. And there was a few other men there on this vocation weekend uh, discerning. And we were basically living the life of the monks for a few days to kind of get a feel of what is it like to be a Trappist monk. And I remember about halfway through the retreat, I remember getting this, this idea or this thought that I really wanted to prove myself. I wanted to prove myself to the monks and to God that I was serious about maybe becoming a Trappist, that I was serious about the life of prayer, that I was a serious and a mature Christian. And so I decided that night that I was going to wake up in the morning before the bell. The monastery and the bell rings every morning at 3.15 in the morning because all the monks are in church at 3.30 a.m. for the Office of Vigils. And that night before I went to bed, I set my alarm for 3 o'clock in the morning. And my plan was I was going to be up and I wanted to be in the chapel before all the other monks got there so that they would see me and that they would be impressed that this young, zealous man is here before everyone else to pray. Well, when the morning came, my alarm woke up at 3. I immediately shot out of bed, and I was in the church probably by 10 after 3. I remember getting there thinking I was alone, and sort of I had this self-righteous, uh, prideful feeling within me. And I heard the bell ring at 3.15, and I, I had a little smile. And I remember thinking, wait till they see me here in this church. At about 3.20, some of the lights in the church became, began to come on. And as 
It took my eyes maybe a minute or two to adjust to the light because I was sitting in a, in a dark church. All of a sudden, I noticed in the corner of the church, there was a few monks who were sitting on the floor, face facing the Blessed Sacrament, just sitting there praying. And as more lights came on and my eyes adjusted to the light, I noticed in different parts all throughout the church, there were different monks sitting, facing the Blessed Sacrament, simply praying. And all of a sudden when 3.30 came and it came time for the office of vigils to begin, I suddenly realized that I wasn't alone in this church. And I also realized that by the time I got in there, at about 10 after 3, I didn't hear a sound. And so what that meant was these monks were already there before I was, quietly praying. Needless to say, I felt a bit humiliated because I saw how prideful, how vain my attempts were to become a man of prayer. What was the difference between those monks and me? The difference, I believe, is that those monks were in a relationship with God. I was trying to prove to God how good I was, how serious I was, and how holy I was in the hopes that maybe one day I too could have this relationship with God that these monks had. In the hopes that maybe one day, if I just did the right things, I would be found worthy of having a relationship with God. What does it mean to be in relationship? To be in relationship means to possess a certain knowledge, a certain intimacy with an other. Imagine if you were walking down the streets of New York City, and there are thousands of people everywhere. There are cars driving past, people everywhere, shops all over the place, all kinds of noise going on. And everyone you see is a stranger. And then all of a sudden, somebody you know appears. Maybe it's somebody you grew up with. Maybe it is someone you work with. Maybe it was an old friend. All of a sudden, when that one person appears who you know, everything begins to change. The difference is, is that at least that one person is not a stranger. To be in relationship means that the other is not a stranger. 
St. Paul says so beautifully in his letter to the Ephesians, chapter 2, writing to the Christians at Ephesus, he is trying to remind them of this very fact. He says, you are no longer strangers and sojourners, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. What is Paul alluding to? Paul is alluding to the good news. The good news that states that we are already in relationship with God. We are no longer strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints. We are not strangers to God, and He should not be a stranger to us. You know, I think one of the saddest facts, or maybe one of the saddest realities of, of life, is that oftentimes for many people, God is a stranger. He is maybe at best some distant, far-off being who's not really concerned about us or who maybe doesn't have the time to be involved with the complexities of my life. Even though God might be a stranger to us, we are not a stranger to Him. How did all of this happen? Well, simply by the fact of creation. Simply by the fact that you and I are born, that we are living, means that we are in relationship with God. Our very existence is not an accident. It is willed by God. You know, in Psalm 139, the psalmist says, really, so beautifully, reflecting on, on this, this very fact, on his, own, on his own existence, he says to the Lord, he says, You formed my inmost parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret intricately wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes beheld my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me. Our very existence implies relationship with God. This relationship was intensified at baptism. In baptism, we become what we want so desperately, union with God. The Catechism reminds us in paragraph 1265, it says so beautifully, it says that baptism not only purifies us from all sin, but it makes us a new creature 
an adopted son of God who has become a partaker of the divine nature and a temple of the Holy Spirit. How beautiful. Baptism makes us an adopted son, an adopted daughter of God. The amazing thing is, is that what did any of us do to deserve this? The answer really is nothing. Nothing at all. Most of us were baptized when we were babies. And probably, like many babies, we slept through our baptism. Or we cried through the baptism. Or you're just sort of looking around and wonder, trying to figure out, what is this priest doing? Why is he spilling water on my head? But regardless of how we responded, God responded in a most powerful way. And the implications of this is profound. What do we have to do to find God? Where do we have to go? Isn't that the question of the human heart? What do I have to do to find God? Where do I have to go? The answer is nothing and nowhere. There is nothing you have to do and there is nowhere you have to go. St. Paul says in the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 16, he says, In Him we live, move, and have our being. We cannot get away from God. We might try to run from Him, we might try to hide from Him, but the attempts are in vain. In Him we live and move and have our being. What we need to do is realize this. Imagine if every person in the world, for just one moment today, one minute today, stopped and thought, I am already in relationship with God. How much energy would we save on so many useless, vain, self-seeking activities? A few years ago, I was at a retreat, and I'll never forget this conversion story, but this man, probably in his mid-twenties, got up and shared his conversion story with all of the other people who were on retreat. And this man was living in, Cal in Hollywood, California. He was involved in film and was pretty successful. You know, he knew some famous people, was hanging out in all these parties with all these rich and famous actors and actresses. And after he said a few months of this lifestyle, he just became so fed up with it all. 
he felt so empty inside. And so one morning, he woke up from bed after being out all night partying. And he woke up, and all of a sudden he had the thought. He said, I'm going to spend one minute just sitting here in silence. I'm going to close my eyes and be quiet for one minute. So he sat up, closed his eyes, and after about 20 seconds of silence, he all of a sudden freaked out and he ran downstairs and almost smoked a whole pack of cigarettes. The silence was terrifying for him. And it was terrifying, he said, because in that brief span of silence, in that 20 seconds of silence, he said he was aware. He encountered a presence that he never really knew before. The presence was powerful and it was loving. And it was more real to him, he said, than the very air he breathed. The next day, he went at this again and tried to go for a whole minute. And he made it to about 35 seconds. And the same thing happened. He couldn't take it. He jumped out of his bed, ran downstairs, and started smoking cigarettes. Well, to make a long story short, this man finally made it to a minute. And then pretty soon this minute became five minutes and then 10 minutes and 15 minutes. And that man now is a Catholic priest. Because he said that in that silence, he encountered a presence that was already there. The presence of God. And even though it was terrifying and scared him at first, eventually he allowed himself to be drawn by this presence. And he realized that he didn't need to go anywhere or necessarily do anything. That God was already with him. This led him to church. It led him to begin to read many of the saints, mystics, St. John of the Cross, St. Teresa of Avila. And he entered the seminary. And he was a seminarian, actually, when he was giving this, when he was sharing his testimony. So I'm assuming that he is a priest now. But what a beautiful story. You know, when we discover this, when we discover that God is already present to us, that we are already in relationship with Him, prayer turns into silence. It turns into adoration. It turns into wonder because of the fact that I am already in relationship with God. You know, very often in my own 
travels and my own experiences with people, sometimes I will, I will meet people who aren't really sure about organized religion. They aren't really sure about Catholicism or Christianity, but they're hungry and they're looking for God. And sometimes they'll ask me, what can I do to experience God? And one of the things I always say, I always certainly always recommend reading the New Testament, maybe some other books, but one thing I always recommend is that I challenge them and I say, do you want to know God? Do you want to experience God? Be quiet for 15 minutes a day. For 15 minutes a day, sit somewhere wherever it might be, in your house, in your bedroom, in the bathroom, on your porch, if there's a church nearby, in a church, wherever it is you can be alone, sit and be quiet for 15 minutes. Don't say anything. Don't try to do anything. Just be quiet. Because it's in that silence where we discover the presence, where we encounter the presence of God. We encounter a presence that is much greater than ourselves. And what Christianity brings to this is that we know that that presence, that mysterious presence of God within us, that it has a name and that it has a face, Jesus Christ. So what is prayer? First and foremost, prayer is a relationship. You know, so many people view prayer as a way to manipulate God. So many people view prayer as merely an obligation. Something I have to do. I was speaking a few months ago with a man who's a friend of our community. And this, this man is a good man. He's in his 60s. And he recently has, has been undergoing some tests for cancer. Because the doctors think that there's a possibility that he might have cancer. And this news, like it would anyone terrified him and he had to go back for this final test that would really determine if he does have cancer or not and as he was about to go before this test he told me he said i made a deal with god he said if i don't have cancer i promised god i would go to daily mass and he asked me, what did I think about that? And I was very honest with him. We'll call this man John. I said, John, it seems like your prayer, your love for God, at least in this situation, is conditional. If God has enabled you not to have cancer, 
you will go to Mass for him, as if you're doing God a favor by going to Mass. But if you don't have cancer, if you are healthy, then you're free from not having to go to daily Mass. I said to him, you know, we don't go to Mass when we want something or when we need something. Mass is not like a drive-thru at McDonald's where we just drive up, place our order, get what we want, and then leave. I said, the danger here is that if you are healed, and if you do not have cancer, the chances are you will not view the Mass as this profound encounter with Christ in this Word and in the Eucharist. But you will see it as an obligation, something that you have to do because of this deal you made with God. Going to daily Mass is a wonderful thing to do, if one can do it because of their life situation. It should never be something out of obligation. We should desire to go to Mass, whether I'm sick or whether I'm healthy. Because it is there in the liturgy, in the scriptures that we read, and in the Eucharist that we receive, where Christ comes to us. Which only intensifies and reminds us of this relationship we are already in with God. The amazing thing, really the healing reality, is that whether we are sick or healthy, whether we are rich or whether we are poor, we are right now loved by God. We are not strangers, but we are in a relationship with Him. That I would dare to say, is the ultimate healing we are all in need of. To know that we are loved right now. Jesus says it so beautifully in the Gospel of Luke in one of his parables on prayer. He says, What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent, or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion. In other words, God, our Father, is on our side. God does not want to hurt us. Just as in the same way, those who are parents would never want to hurt or harm their child. The same is true with God. So God will not be manipulated despite our best efforts. What then is the point of, God, uh, the point of prayer? What does God want from us? St. John Damascene says that prayer is the raising of one's mind and heart to God. So prayer is this intentional turning 
towards God. It is simply being with Him, realizing we are in relationship with Him. When we are in relationship with people, whether it's a spouse or a child or a friend, we want to spend time with them. And this is what those monks were doing at the monastery that I spoke about in the beginning. They were simply there sitting before the Lord. They didn't have out their calendars. They didn't have out their, their cell phones or their computers, or they didn't have books and novenas and rosaries. They were simply there praying before the Lord. There is, of course, nothing wrong at all with praying the rosary or reciting novenas or using books to help us in our prayer. There's nothing wrong at all with that. But sometimes, the danger is that sometimes our prayers can get in the way of prayer. Meaning sometimes we can hide behind these books and these prayers and we never spend time just listening to God. We never spend time speaking to God from the depths of our hearts in what is really going on. You know, so many of the saints, especially John of the Cross, they tell us that as we advance in the spiritual life, as we make progress in prayer and draw closer to God, our prayer life becomes more quiet. It becomes more silent. Because we realize how poor and how limited our human speech is. This is true of all relationships. Intimacy leads to silence. A comfortable silence. You know, if you had a couple who have been married 30, 40, 50 years, oftentimes they can sit in the same room and not really say a lot. Why? Because they have spent so much time together. They know each other. They're comfortable with silence because they are in a deep and profound relationship. And so... Do you realize who you are? Do you realize that you don't have to try and make God love you? Do you realize that you don't even have to be holy right now? Do you realize that right now you are not lacking anything? Because you already are in relationship with God. If so, then you are ready to pray. Amen.